1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands the conversation. I often draw on the meeting and work research I've been doing myself over the last 15 years, as well as my consulting experience. We were on there, on the show last week with Dr. Bob Nelson of, of Nelson Motivation, and we were talking about how the, the importance of recognizing employees and what that does for retention, engagement, and performance. Great conversation. The man has um, many books out there, and he is considered an authority on the topic. This week we have the pleasure of being with Abhijit Naskar who is a renowned neuroscientist, best-selling author and speaker and who has become a humanitarian sensation all over the world with his vast legacy of scientific and philosophical literature. He has written 31 books on the human mind that cover a wide range of topics including religion, relationship, parenting, education, discrimination and various other issues of the society. We'll be talking today a bit about the actual field and, of course, how it relates to the world of work and our relationships. Um, Abhijit comes to us today via Skype from India. Abhijit, welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: Thank you, Alice. It's a great pleasure to be here.
1: I am so happy to, to know that we connected via LinkedIn. I believe there was, you, I can't remember which one of us reached out to who, but it was thanks to LinkedIn that we know each other, began a conversation and thought it would be really interesting to have you come on, on the show and talk about your, your field. Neuroscience is something that people talk a lot about today. It shows up all over the media, but I got to confess, I don't know that I could really accurately describe what is it? What is this neuroscience field all about?
2: When we talk about neuroscience, we often see it as a kind of technical field that actually uh, studies the nervous system, that the basic perception. But actually, it's much wider than that. Basically, today neuroscience gives us insight into our own cells to understand ourselves. So basically, we can understand the human mind by studying the human brain. That is studying how the neurons in the brain and the entire nervous system interact with each other. And that creates our entire perception of the world and our entire internal realm, that is, the mind, which is created through the neuron. And we can understand all of that through this field, which we today call neuroscience. Mm, that was just delicious.
1: Now, I, I know that you you began your your working life, I believe, in computer engineering. And then you started on a path toward toward this field of neuroscience, and I think psychology and philosophy as well. I have to understand in terms of context, what made you decide to depart from computer science to studying neuroscience?
2: Uh, It was not a direct leap from computer science and neuroscience. It was in fact a leap from computer science to hopelessness to becoming a monk and then becoming a scientist, that is coming into neuroscience through various fields of biology. And eventually, I found my calling into, which we today call neuroscience. To be honest, much earlier, uh, I wasn't even aware of the field, which we call neuroscience. It was like any other lay person. So I just knew the term. That's it. But then one day, I uh, saw on TV an episode on um, another scientist, uh, Michael Persinger, who happens to be a good friend of mine now. So she is uh, one of the pioneers in the field of neuroscience, especially the psychology of religiousness and so his works influenced me to a great deal in fact he is the one who actually allured me into neuroscience later on and then I started began studying psychology and neuroscience altogether. Mm.
1: You strike me Abhijit, and one of the reasons again I I was drawn to you is that you're you're really quite a Um, I would prolific person. I mean, in terms of you've written 31 books already and you're on your 32nd one and I asked you in our preliminary conversation, I just had to ask how old you are and you told me you're 26 years old. So the next thing I have to ask you is where does all this motivation to
2: produce what you're producing come from? I really have no idea. It's just something within that keeps flowing and once it flows, It just uh, comes out in the form of writing. Even uh, often cases, when I read my own work sometimes after some time, I have to put my own efforts as a reader to actually understand what I really meant in those words. So it means there is something inside I have no clue what that could be. I can explain it in terms of neuroscience, of course, but it is just in there. And I believe that every single person has a certain kind of uniqueness within them and that once a person recognizes that that could be brought into huge uh, productivity and that can make great progress for the person as well as the society
1: this is beautiful because that's exactly what i wanted to do next here abhijit is if you can now given that we've now given the listeners a context of, of how productive and prolific you are and the fact that you've gone through the journey that you've done that you've gone through to get where you are as a neuroscientist now if you can help us understand how what you're doing in this field the writing the research shows up in terms of these various books and the works that you do help, layer that back or or connect that back to neuroscience what's happening from that vantage point that you're producing as you are
2: so the really what we are trying to understand here is how neuroscience is associated or uh, is connected to daily living in fact That's exactly what I wanted to do in my work, to present neuroscience to the world in a way that would actually help them live better. I'm no guru and all that, so I don't tell them how to live and all that, but I can give them some kind of insight, which I study myself and uh, gather all the data from my research. So when we are talking about the human mind, what is the mind that is the most interesting question here? There are tons of philosophers and spiritualists who would come just, with an anti-attitude and to all our uh, scientists that oh, we cannot actually understand the mind. The mind, something is just received by the brain. But the fact remains fact, not a fiction. Fact remains that the brain creates the mind. So which we call the mind is actually a collective expression of various, in fact, all the faculties, all the mental faculties together. So those faculties together construct something which we call mind. So it's the kind of illusion which we live in, actually. And when we try to understand every single part of it, every single element of it inside our own internal ram, inside our own mind, then we can actually start to have a real control over our own thoughts, our own emotions, our own behaviors. And that's really the most significant part of living better, when we can understand ourselves, not in a metaphorical or uh, metaphysical or mystical manner but an actual practical empirical manner understanding ourselves in terms of understanding the brain biology substrate under- basically understanding the brain understanding our own reactions to different emotional triggers in a day in a daily situation once we understand that we can actually practice and train our own mind that how to react in a certain situation because once we do actually React in a certain uh, in a healthy manner. It we would see that it brings out much more benefit than uh, than in the other case when we would just go crazy because our emotions just made us go completely lose control. That is. So by understanding ourselves, we can understand life better and give our own life true meaning. And that would also radiate a kind of joy and cheer around us.
1: Mm. I know some of that because of the work that I do today in organizational transformation and performance breakthrough, Abhijit. But if you can help our listeners and me for that matter, how do we get access to this understanding? How do we start to really begin to understand this?
2: In this case, we have to take a step by step manner, which we, uh, let's just see, uh, give an example. Uh, when we look at the difference between a male and female brain, so when we are talking about a male and female brain that is in terms of even it is also significant in terms of relationship that is so it becomes pretty apparent to us neuroscientists, which may not be so much easy to notice for the lay person, but it is very much apparent to us that the female and male mind they are not exactly similar they feel differently, they think differently, they behave differently. Yet, one uh, expects the other to behave and think and feel in the exact same manner. But that's exactly what's not happening. Because each of these two minds completely function, at least mostly function, uniquely. For example, the female mind often access various emotional networks of the brain to solve a kind of uh, analytical problem. Whereas on the other hand, a male brain often uses most of the analytical functioning of the brain to solve a certain situation. So in this case, a male brain would be much less emotional or even would be unable, neurologically unable to notice the emotional significance of a certain situation. But on the other hand, a woman would be much easily, uh, she can access that kind of information, emotional intelligence, we can call it, that what kind of emotional influence a certain situation has over not just herself, but the people around in that situation.
1: Mm. So then of course the next question I have to ask related to that is uh, and let me give it some context here I am very very interested in the, in the in the concept of androgyny and and uh, so I'm interested from the vantage point especially as how people can develop over time whereas men might learn to become to have a greater access to their emotional intelligence and use that in their relationships and work. And women might gain a greater access to being more, if you will, analytical, however you want to say you how you said that before, um, decisive, however that you might say that, in order to approximate more of the traditional or stereotypical male characteristics. And in so doing, it seems to me that if both genders did that, they would each rise to, to a higher level of maybe self-actualization. I don't know. What is your view on, of that? Is it possible for us to learn that way?
2: The difference between us humans and most other animals is that we are highly plastic. Plastic mm-hmm. as in highly plastic in terms of our mental development. We can evolve to such an extent that no other animal, no other creature on this planet can we can develop capacities unimaginable by any other. So yes, there are certain stereotypical, we can, which we call actually archetypal characteristics in the male and female psychology. It does not determine that the exact characteristic expressions of that person. If a person truly desires to develop a certain kind of faculty, uh, uh, in, a certain, in a certain situation, then that person can through the process of neuroplasticity. Mm. So when, when we are developing as a child, uh, when we say that a, ch- a baby's brain, when a baby is born, the, neuro, the, the amount of neuron, all the neurons are actually the same, the same quantity of neurons that are there in a baby's brain as they are in an adult brain. But they are not exactly connected to each other. That's what makes the difference. Until about two years of age, those neurons get fully connected to each other. After that, the faculties, the influence of the environment makes those, some of those connections grow stronger, and some others, they just vanish from the brain. So this goes on not just in the child brain, but this goes on throughout our lifetime. The specific skill that we, regardless of whether it is a male skill or a female skill, If we practice a certain skill for long enough with enough passion and care, then our brain has the capacity to develop and strengthen the connections required to excel in that specific skill. So it is possible. There is nothing completely hardwired in the brain. Yes, there are certain instinctual characteristics, which makes a man more likely to do something and a female, a woman more likely to do something else, but does not say that it is exactly going to be that way. We all have the plasticity that makes us capable of developing new skills, regardless of our gender, our culture, our environment, anything.
1: From That was a tr- delicious response. Thank you. From a neuroscientific vantage point then, Abhijit, I, I think about uh, you know w- women that I, I've seen in, in the workplace who... Um, they 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 occur very much as you know very strong very decisive and you know they've people are afraid of them in in many ways right and so they have a what would be associated with a stereotypical male stance from a from a neuroscientific vantage point how do you explain that is that gen, just genetic for them did they learn that w- where do you suppose that came from or how would you
2: explain oftentimes, that phenomenon Oftentimes, such a phenomenon is often a response, a kind of defense mechanism that grows in a woman through handling every single month the emotional storm that goes on in the female brain because of the process which we call menstruation. So that is a hugely important phenomenon, menstrual cycle. To, uh, it gives us insight into understanding the female mind than any other phenomenon. And actually, the chemical... What we per- how we perceive the world and how we behave everything is actually determined by our internal state. And those states are influenced by our internal chemicals. So now imagine a female brain goes through this kind of storms of different levels of chemicals, which by the way, the male brain does not experience to such an extent so many spikes, but the female brain does. So over time, the female brain grows a kind of defense mechanism. To show a kind of strength that will just allow them to cope with the internal storm that goes on inside them. So when they show that strength, that begin to radiate in every single situation, including the workplace. So it does not necessarily have to do with any kind of stereotypical behavior or genetic behavior. It is a kind of neurological capacity that grows in a woman as she starts to deal with her own emotional storms within.
1: Mm. Wow, that is provocative. I have never heard anything like that, Abhijit, never. (laughs) And (laughs) and we certainly, and we certainly in the work that I do, we do talk about internal states and we understand, you know, quite a bit about how how they, they manifest for us in our everyday lives and our relationships and 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 then understanding that that's exactly what it is, an internal state, not that that's who you are. It's your internal state. I, I, but this is the very first time I've ever heard anybody say anything like that related to how a woman might show up and develop over time. Fascinating.
2: So that's how we actually, every, our internal state in fact determines who we are. But the point is, our internal state is not always stable or exactly the same way always, it keeps evolving and every day, every single step that we take in a kind of experience or wisdom or information that makes us actually involved and be, somehow become a little bit of different person, evolved person than we were a few seconds ago.
1: Mm. I want to talk more about the internal state, but let's take a quick break here, Abhijit. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Abhijit Naskar, who is a renowned neuroscientist, best-selling author and speaker. He has several books out, and some of the more popular ones are called The Art of Neuroscience in Everything and What is Mind and Principia Humanitas. Stay with us. We'll be right back after the break talking more about the internal state and how it actually shows up for us. We'll be right back.
0: To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Do you desire to have the happiest, healthiest, most abundant life possible, free from emotional hurt and pain, and full of physical, spiritual, and emotional health and healing? Listen for Surviving to Thriving. Denitra Gary, your clinical social worker, takes you on a journey of knowing who you are from God's perspective as she gains insights from counselors, speakers, and educators to give you knowledge into who God created you to be. Tune in Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: Do you sometimes feel powerless over your own life? Does it seem like you're living for someone else, unsure of what your purpose is, or if you even have an important voice? It's time to take back that
0: control. Tune in to Empowered with Des and Jen. They've been in the same place and have learned to regain control of their lives. They also feature amazing guests who share experiences of how they have found success. Start on your journey by listening Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com It's your world.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Abhijit Naskar, who is a renowned neuroscientist, best-selling author and speaker who has become a humanitarian sensation all over the world with his vast legacy of scientific and philosophical literature. He joins us today from Calcutta, India. So before the break, uh, Abhijit, we were talking about the internal state and I'd like to hear more about that. It's, It's quite a fascinating thing and I think many of our listeners won't really quite be able to to access this that because it might be a brand new concept for them. So could you say more about the internal state and how it does manifest in us?
2: Basically, who we are is determined what our states within uh, in that specific moment. Oftentimes, in fact, all the time, all the conflicts in our both personal and professional lives are often created because we want to fight our own internal state. We want to, some kind of thought or emotion comes up and we want to say that this is not me. This is something else and telling us to do something. But the problem is that this is exactly us. This is exactly a part of us. We are a combination of all those states. When we are angry at a certain moment, actually we are anger at that moment. We are the chemicals responding. And that's why we feel this emotion, uh, this kind of illusion that we are actually feeling angry but the point is when we say that we are angry that's the kind of memory that is telling us we have been angry a few seconds ago so at a certain moment we are the emotional or uh, kind of cognitive response of our own internal state, the response of our chemicals that goes on inside us if there are chemicals happy hormones endorphins dopamine then we say we are happy So those chemicals are there and they are creating this kind of illusion in our mind that we are happy. When there are chemicals, cortisol, adrenaline, these are making us alert, which actually served a great purpose in the wild to keep us alert and survive a kind of threat uh, in, in front of predators. But today when they are there inside us, those levels of chemicals, and we feel like we're angry, we are rageful. And at that moment, so we are anger. So all those chemicals together make us who we are. They are not separate from us. Just moment to moment, those chemicals just keep changing. And as they keep changing, we also keep changing. Our personality often shifts. And through everyday life, as we go on, go on through this kind of shift, we become a kind of uh, evolved personality of our own self.
1: So I want to be sure and give access to our listeners to how they can apply this and use this in their own lives. And so let's say, for example, my internal state includes feeling overwhelmed and out of control. And like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on a veering, I'm in a veering car heading down the freeway at 150 miles an hour and I have no way of being able to stop. How can I intervene in those, that internal state and get myself on a, a more healthy,
2: positive track? Else here, the thing that you're referring to, it requires the skill which we call often self-control or self-restraint, which is the reaction, or which is the response, the function, of our brain, frontal lobes, or especially prefrontal cortex. So it is a kind of skill. The prefrontal cortex of our brain is actually acting as the gateway to all our emotions, both good and bad. So when we have a healthier prefrontal cortex, we can have better control over our emotions, both good and bad. So there are this kind of often we experience a kind of extreme high, that is extreme goodness, of kind of uh, jolly, and another time extreme sorrow, extreme misery. So what first step towards that having self-control is to actually at least try to recognize that whether a kind of anger is really going to jeopardize, you uh, know, jeopardize the kind of relationship with our peers in the workplace or at home. And when we know that we are angry, we have to take action. Tell the other person in front, don't talk to me at this moment because I'm completely angry and I might say something that would just jeopardize our relationship. So the first step is to recognize that when we are angry, when we are happy. And then we can think that whether that will, how that will actually influence with our uh, on a relationship that we have with another person. After that comes practicing the self control. Okay,
1: okay. Um, so
2: one of the things that I've read
1: in, in the emotional intelligence literature is that the, the faster that we can give a name to our emotions, the more quickly we can we can start to self regulate. What's your perspective on that? Uh,
2: I think that is completely nonsense here, at least giving the name part that is. Because often our brain is, when we are exactly in that situation, our brain is too confused, to be honest. And we don't have so much capacity in the first place to actually just uh, give it a name or term it, like we are kind of psychoanalyzing it in that situation. So that is too much effort if we had that effort uh, if we had that capacity in the first place we wouldn't be so much angry at that moment or when we are overwhelmed with that emotion so the first step is that could work for some people so here we are saying that every single person in terms of her uh, his or her emotional realm her internal state so they are completely almost very much unique and something some methods or some tactics that may work for one person may not work for another person so it really depends on that person that how is that person going to cope with that situation, whether naming a certain kind of emotion is really helping him or her or it is too much effort. The easiest alternative would be simply to recognize that and for that moment, for example, if a woman is going through a kind of, uh, the, during that stage of PMS, the best way is to first let her partner at home know that it is PMS. So that he knows this goes on. So whatever she says is going to take it as the response of that kind of emotional storm or chemical storm that goes on inside. So, if, and that applies to every single situation of life. We simply need to recognize it. Then the brain automatically develops the kind of tactics that is most suitable for that person.
1: Mm. Well, what if it's not really healthy? If it's, it could be suitable for that person because of maybe their constitution but it isn't really appropriate it's not going to yield them good positive results
2: it really when we are talking about appropriate what we mean by appropriate because oftentimes we also uh, bring in all kinds of stereotypes so yes when we are actually in a kind of in a certain situation we, we are going to develop a kind of tactic that is if that situation say in a kind of workplace if that workplace is really important to us, then the brain is going to find a way. That is the power of the neuron. It can connect to each other in a way that is suitable, not just for that person. When we are talking about a person, a person is not really a person. A person is a combination of emotions and behaviors and thoughts of that individual, as well as pa- as well as those are the people around that individual. So when a person is developing, the person's brain is developing tactics to cope with the situation. It's not just going to be suitable for that person. It's going to be suitable in that situation because that's what the brain is trying to do. Mm.
1: Okay. Well, let's maybe move on to, if we can, this might be related perhaps. Maybe you can you can give us the thread, but I'm interested in your, your perspective and what you know about meditation and mindfulness.
2: That is the best way to actually develop the self-control we are talking about a few minutes ago. Okay, yep, yep. So when we are talking about meditation, see often we just bring in all kinds of, again, tactics and methods and this and that, which is just uh, filling that term with all kinds of nonsense. And when we say nonsense, we are no way in condemning those methods. They have their own influence in life. But let's just say meditation is simply uh, a kind of way, a method that actually that does not necessarily have to be a traditional method. It could be anybody's favorite method, playing guitar or uh, doing a painting or writing, anything, not just about sitting and breathing. So that's, that's not the only meditation. Meditation is what brings us into the state of mindfulness when we become most aware of our inner state and that does not happen so easily it takes time and over time as we keep on practicing a certain kind of meditation that makes our brain especially the prefrontal cortex the entire frontal lobe in fact healthier and when we our frontal lobes are healthier we have better uh, emotional intelligence and cognitive kills our entire analytical department in the mind, just gets a complete renovation.
1: Mm, I like the way you said that, Abajit. That was so elegant. <laughs> okay. So let's talk a little bit about some of those meditation practices. How let's say that I'm I'm brand new to meditation and for the most part I am. How would you how what would you recommend as a means of beginning the practice?
2: I would recommend, first, I would ask you that what is the thing that you love to do? First of all, if a person actually developed a profession out of his or her passion, then I really doubt that that person is going to actually require a kind of meditation to develop that kind of um, control over his or her internal state or awareness of that. But when we're talking about meditation, we are really talking about a person has a profession and then... This person has all kinds of issues and confusions and doubts and even stress and anxiety. So we need to get rid of all that stress and anxiety. So that's why we are practicing meditation. So the first thing that comes to mind, what is the thing that you love to do? Do you love guitar or practicing guitar? That is not just listening, something actively engaging in practicing guitar or doing some painting or something else. Let's just say uh, another person comes in and say, hey, I just uh, started practicing this kind of Vipassana meditation. It's great, you know, it's just giving me this kind of extreme euphoria and makes me better aware of my inner state. And another person says, well, uh, probably it will work for me too. And then he starts uh, practicing it. And after a few days, it just doesn't work for me. So, so this is really depends from person to person. A person has to try out different things or At least first if that person is aware that what he or she's really likes to doing and just practicing that on a daily basis, on a regular basis, and that makes them develop a kind of neurological connections that actually gives them better grip over their internal realm.
1: It sounds to me when you describe that, Abhishit, that what you're saying, and I'm asking for clarification here, that you are able to develop a certain ability to listen to yourself.
2: That's exactly what we are talking about. Listening to ourselves without trying to get rid of thoughts, without trying to get rid of certain emotions, because that's all the most of the traditions are doing. They just want you to just keep silence your mind as if it's kind of magic. It's not magic. It doesn't happen like that. You cannot get rid of your thoughts because you are your thoughts. So it's a kind of uh, swimming in the ocean or whenever there are just like uh, waves in the ocean and when you're swimming in it, you're going to be in that wave and you're just going to swim through the waves. But when the ocean is calm, you're going to be calm in that ocean as well. So likewise, when there are thoughts coming into the brain and they are our cells, so we will be that thought. But when we are calm within, so we develop this kind of awareness that makes us calm. It doesn't come so easily. It just happens automatically. Thoughts come and go. We just don't need to resist them or say no to them. Just be aware of them. Okay, let's just uh, come. Let's just bring in all the thoughts and emotions that come. Just don't um, serve them tea. That is.
1: It almost sounds like you're saying that if you're calm enough and mindful enough, and and you you can start to notice your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, that you could almost Let them exist for you as almost, I'm saying the word almost, independently. In other words, you you can notice them and say, oh, that's interesting. I'm feeling upset right now. I feel anxious right now. Hmm, that's interesting. And let it be without it overtaking you. Is that where you're headed
2: with this? Right, exactly. So just being aware of them without judging them, without psychoanalyzing them, just let them come as they come and go and just be aware of them and see them as we are at this specific moment. Hmm.
1: And that, that I can see that that would give power to well I would re, well it would give power to the it seems like the individual it seems and um, hmm, maybe allow you allow you to redirect
2: where you want to where it instead where you want to go. Yeah. Uh, when we first try to Actually, be aware with our own emotions and thoughts that gives them a kind of relief first ourselves. Okay, that we are just we get acquainted with our own emotional internal states, and that's really the first step to get acquainted with all the thoughts and emotions that comes within us, arise within us. And when we get acquainted with them, then afterwards, the kind of self control that we are talking about that, but that comes later on,
1: okay. All right, great. Well, thank you for that. That helped me better understand Abhijit. It's time for a short break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Abhijit Naskar, who is a renowned neuroscientist, best-selling author, and speaker who has become a humanitarian sensation all over the world with his vast legacy of scientific and philosophical literature. Some of his popular books include The Art of Neuroscience in Everything and What is Mind. We've been talking a bit about how meditation and mindfulness can be used in our everyday lives and work. After the break, we're going to talk about some spiritual and religious practices in relation to his work. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
1: Many of us define our lives by what has already happened. It's a past tense series of events. Do you long for something else? You don't have to live solely in this reality. Tune in for To Win Within with host Strom Thomason. Strom and his guests are here to introduce you to your true self. It's time to emerge from your box and take a beautiful journey of self-love and discovery you'll find yourself exactly where you need to be. To Win Within airs live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment.
0: What makes someone successful in their field? On Transformational Energy Leadership, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey speaks to amazing guests who share their ideas, advice, tips, and tricks as to what defines success for them. The result is positive transformation for you. You'll learn that personal energy is the key to make it work. And you'll hear through actual examples how to bring that positive transformation to life. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to one 346 9141 Again, that's one 346 9141 You may also send an email to Elise A-L-I-S-E, at elisecortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Abhijit Naskar. Who is a renowned neuroscientist, best selling author, and speaker, who has become a humanitarian sensation all over the world with his vast legacy of scientific and philosophical literature? He joins us today from Calcutta, India. So, Abhijit, before the break, we were finishing up our conversation about meditation and mindfulness. And over our break while we were coming in, I was asking you if there was anything else you wanted to say. And of course, you said, well, there's a natural next step thread to spiritual and religious practices, which is this segment's topic.
2: So help us understand the thread. The thread is that it reflects a kind of correlation or rather a connection between meditation and spiritual or religious practices. Oftentimes when we talk about mindfulness or meditation, we see it as a kind of Eastern process, a kind of Eastern traditional philosophy and all that. But the point is when we really, go into the root of the word meditate, which simply means to be conscious of something, to think of something at that specific moment. And that could also be a kind of religious or spiritual practice. In fact, all those things that we call prayers, prayers are also a form of meditation. In the traditional Eastern way, there are this kind of, a kind of point of objectivity that we bring in inside our mind, that we put it something, a kind of we use as chanting or a process of breathing. And in case of prayers, that just gets replaced with our own personal deity. Uh, It could be Christ, anything else, anybody else. But that kind of point of objectivity that our mind constructs to receive all the benefits from our own neurons that create, they grow stronger through those practices. And when they grow stronger, we develop kind of self-control. Also, our coping mechanism in daily situations gets stronger. Hmm. That's
1: so encouraging. And And of course, there's always the notion of practice in anything. Beyond practice, is there more we can do to develop this process?
2: The first thing is to be non-judgmental, of course, which means when we said uh, in a few minutes ago that we need to just see our own thoughts and emotions and all that in a kind of just being in the flow, being in the process, in a state of flow, not condemning them, not judging them. So the first step is just being that flow and recognizing them because when we try to conclude or condemn a certain kind of emotion or thought within us that is coming in and start judging our own internal cortisol levels and adrenaline levels so that are against stress chemicals they go up that again puts a kind of negative impact on our brain so that is the kind of impact that we are trying to ignore in the first place or get rid of in the first place to get rid of all the negativity. So in this case, what we're seeing really all the negativities that we really experience in our life are actually the creation of our own mind from too much conclusions, from too much judgment of our own selves and of others. When we just get rid of all of all that judgment and conclusions and just see or listen to ourselves as well as to another person without concluding, then we can really develop a real connection both with ourselves and the people around us. So now we're
1: getting, for me, very interestingly philosophical. When you say that, then obviously what comes to my mind is the the real ability to experience peace and love for other people.
2: Is that where we're headed? That is really. Uh, is there anything else? That's my question. Because if <laughs> there is. <laughs> Isn't that the ultimate goal of humanity to find peace within ourselves in whatever uh, work we are in or whatever profession we are in or whatever relationship we are in? Because if there is no peace, then what's the point of it all? Mm -hmm. When there is peace that again, automatically influences all our productivity, but that peace has to come from within. When we practice a kind of meditation or say prayer, we feel a kind of peace, a kind of which we call divine peace, that coming down from kind of higher realm. But again, that kingdom of heaven, which we call or uh, it has been called throughout traditions, that kingdom of heaven is actually within us. So it's actually we are creating our own paradise within our own mind. And that paradise radiates all the peace that we can have as well as the world can have. Mm, that is profound
1: so profound i wonder to what extent Abhisheed, obviously you've been you've been studying neuroscience and other f- related fields for many many years and you you write about it prolifically i am very interested having myself visited and done some work in india and of course i live in the united states today i am i think i'm aware that mm-hmm. there is quite a, di- a difference between the mindset that i encountered in in india and, and the mindset that i know that seems to exist here in the united states to what extent do you think your 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 interpretation and your work within neuroscience is influenced by your being in India?
2: I don't think my environment has influenced me in a, in the kind of mindset, except showing me all the misery that humanity could ever experience. <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: exactly. The stuff we do to ourselves is unbelievable. Um, so. Help us, give us a little, I like so much to do this for my listeners, and by the way, we do have listeners from across the the entire globe, which is a privilege for me that I very much appreciate. Help us give them another level of access here then. How can they begin to cultivate this, this these spiritual and religious practices in themselves so that they can enjoy more peace and love?
2: The first thing I would like to suggest as a friend and a brother, not as a guru or a teacher, is that... Stop judging yourself based on the standards created by tradition. Often Mm. when we talk about traditions, we take in all of the things that those traditions give us or bring into our culture as if they are all productive, all progressive. But actually the point is they are not. And if we are to evolve and progress, really, we have to be able to recognize what's good in ourselves what's good in our own traditions, our own cultures, all over the world, it's in every single culture. And recognizing the good ones as well as the bad ones and being able to say that this specific one is not working for us or it cannot be a part of a kind of civilized conscientious society. So first being aware of it and, don't, and then suddenly not starting to just uh, revolting against it in a violent manner. Violence does not solved anything the real revolution needs to come from within that is being aware of all the goodness as well as the bad then starting to take real actions to strengthen that goodness both within the traditions because and also within ourselves but when we actually start taking actions to strengthen the goodness and all the positive elements within ourselves that automatically starts to reflect within our own Environment And when that goes on for long enough, it becomes a kind of tradition for the future generation.
1: Okay, let's take it to the individual level here for just a moment. I want to see if I've got this right, or if I'm getting this into my being as you're talking about it. So for me, I don't subscribe to any particular faith. I consider myself to be a spiritual person, but I don't attach myself to any faith. But there is a part of the way that I intentionally walk through the day, my life, that informs my sense of self, and I think my 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 uh, spirituality and my sense of peace. And that is that for me, Abhijit, I look for ways that I can recognize and uh, and honor people throughout my the course of my day. So I will oftentimes see someone when I'm in an airport, and I am it's un, I'm not able to resist saying, "You're beautiful. You just look great today." And It's amazing to me how much that takes the person aback, usually, and and it's it's a good thing for them. I'm not saying it because I want anything from them. It's usually because I can't help myself. But it does, in so expressing that, it gives me something bigger in return.
2: Are we talking about the same thing at all? Yes, correct. That is, in fact, the real religion or real spirituality that we talk about, and that, in fact, is going to become the... Real, uh, real faculty uh, from all over the world of the future generation because even we can hold on to a certain faith or we can even say that we are, um, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jew, I'm a Muslim. That is not the problem. The problem is really when we t- put a certain label within a- on ourselves, we automatically, or is more likely that we start to foster a kind of implicit bias against people from different labels but again when we are actually not recognizing to any label and simply spiritual that is having the kind of conscience of recognizing of all the goodness of anything positive that any religion, any practice, any method has to offer and just uh, commending them for all the positive that it has done or that person has done. And that is really real spirituality, real religion. And that spirituality brings in real peace and real productivity. And to take it one step
1: further, just again, I'm using myself as an example here, it, it, it occurs for me when I'm in this when I walk when I walk in this space and I dance in this space, that I become bigger, more richer and fuller and feel like I can start to access a higher level of, of consciousness when I when I live in those states.
2: That that specific state that you're talking about, that is the state, that is the kingdom of heaven, where you are not judgmental of anybody, where you are not putting a label off anybody, or even a label on our own self, or judging our own selves. That is true liberation, and that is true freedom.
1: Mm. Well, I find that, and I frequently live in this space, I mean, obviously there are some days when it doesn't occur for me that way, it doesn't work for me that way, but what how it how it occurs for me? It gives me a joie de vivre. It gives me a it gives me access to what feels to me, from what little I know of this, pure joy. Just a gratitude for for existence, and just it's 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 joyous.
2: Yes, and that is in fact the real what we call again in the beginning of the show the self control when we actually begin to experience this kind of state then we no longer will require to talk about self-control because we live in a state where we are aware of all our inner, inner states and all the elements that the society or the environment has to offer. Because when we are not judging, we are not wasting our brain potential on total nonsense. Then we can put our focus on the things that really matter in our life, that is the individual life and the life of our society
1: hmm. And in fact, one of the things that I'm fascinated with, Abhijit, is really how to help organizations create an environment, a culture and a learning system so that um, the humans can better interact with the, the, the technology they're working with in order to work at a higher state, to be able to enjoy living and existing on a, on a higher state, contributing at a higher state. So I, that's how I'm also connecting what you're saying here.
2: Yes, when we are talking about different organizations, so what are really organizations? Organizations is the collective expression of people, individuals, and those individuals may come from different backgrounds. Those backgrounds do not matter. But when we simply start to see the organization as a whole, as a collective expression of all the people then we can start to empower those individuals. And we empower when we empower those individuals, their inner state, we are actually empowering the organization. Because otherwise, the organization doesn't exist without the people inside. So the organization is as good as the people within it. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Agreed, agreed.
1: Well, we're almost out of time here, Abhijit. i like to give my guests the last words before we close the show. So in about a minute, what would you like to leave our listeners with today?
2: First step, stop judging because the society tells you to. Stop looking at yourself through the eyes and the glasses of the society. From now on, recognize who you really are. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to anybody else question everything, and simply see yourself.
1: Mm. What a profound way to finish, Abhijit. And I, I really, again, want to thank you um, for being on my show, for sharing for sharing your experience, your wisdom, for being so accessible and for being such a gift. It, it, it occurs for me as we've gone through this conversation that I feel even more at peace. I feel and at the same time that I've gotten to another higher level of consciousness thanks to you being in my, in my path. So I thank you for that gift.
2: It was a pleasure, Alice. Pleasure talking to you and just talking, discussing on things that really matter in today's world. Because when we start to see those things and talk about it, then only we can build a better world, a real world, not an imaginary one, a real world.
1: That's an effort that I want to be part of. So if you want to learn more about Abhijit Naskar and his various works, you can visit a couple places. You can go to one of his websites, which is naskarism.wordpress.com. So that's n-a-s-k-a-r-i-s-m.wordpress.com. The other way that you can learn about him and access his work easily is on amazon.com. He's got uh, most of his works, books are sitting out there I've got several in my collection now so I encourage you to do that and I will look forward to being with you on the air next week when we have yet another great and delicious conversation about working on
0: purpose see you then we hope you've enjoyed this week's program be sure to tune in to working on purpose featuring your host Elise Cortez every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel this week Find your life's purpose at work.